Are you seeking light, reflective reading for the summer? Consider my most recent publication, A Letter to My Sisters Reflecting on God's Promises. This 62-page workbook-style publication guides you through brief narratives, biblical insights, and reflective questions, all encouraging you to contemplate on your experiences from a spiritual perspective. To learn more and to order your copy, visit drveronicahardy.com and submit your order through the Order My Copy tab. Thank you. According to the National Institute of Mental Health, occasional anxiety is an expected part of life. You might feel anxious when faced with a problem at work, before taking a test, or before making an important decision. But anxiety disorders involve more than temporary worry or fear. For a person with an anxiety disorder, the anxiety does not go away and can get worse over time. The symptoms can interfere with daily activities such as job performance, schoolwork, and relationships. Mr. Kenneth Joyner, a licensed clinical social worker with vast experience providing direct care services to individuals with mental health and developmental diagnoses, has a passion and clinical interest in working with young men who have experienced significant trauma in their lives. Furthermore, he carries extensive experience focusing on anger management, behavioral, and trauma-related issues. Mr. Joyner is drawn to enlightening others about overcoming anxiety and the fear of rejection. The aim of this There is Power in Your Story podcast conversation is to discuss Mr. Joyner's story of confronting the effects of social anxiety. Thank you so much for joining us on There is Power in Your Story, Mr. Joyner. Thank you for having me. I shared earlier how how you have your master's in social work. You're a licensed clinical social worker. Could you tell us more about your your professional history? Okay, so um, as you said, I'm a licensed clinical social worker. Um, Currently, I do mental health outpatient therapy. Um, I'm about 16 years in as far as the mental health field itself. I've been doing clinical work for about six years now. And prior to that, I did a lot of direct care. So some group homework uh, and community supports with adults and children, mainly. Mm -hmm. You you have a counseling practice and it's called Therapeutic Interactions Counseling Services. Can you tell us a little bit about that and possibly the, the type of people you or issues that you focus on when you're providing services? Okay, so um, Therapeutic Interactions Counseling Services is uh, based out of Greenville, North Carolina, and it's it's owned by me and a partner of mine, and it's just us two. As far as the uh, staff goes, uh, we're the only two clinicians there, and we pretty much work with any individuals in the area. We don't discriminate in terms of age or in terms of what situations they have, but me specifically, I kind of geared towards anxiety, depression, and trauma 
related situations. So when I go out and do presentations, a lot of times I do presentations in those areas. So the majority of my clients come uh, with those type of problems, those type of issues. <clears throat> and pretty much we started the, the agency because we saw a gap in the area where we didn't have many African-American male clinicians, but we had a lot of young African-American males that needed services. So me and my partner got together about two years ago and we mm-hmm. started it off. Yeah, I appreciate how you said you saw a gap and then then you developed the practice. Yes. So, and, and there's a quote on your site. It says it's from uh, Charles Swindle and it says, the secret of living a life of excellence is merely a matter of thinking thoughts of excellence. Really, it's a matter of programming our minds with the kind of information that will set us free. What, <laughs> what did that quote mean to you when you put it on the website? So for me, um, I, I work a lot with trauma um, and anxiety. I work a lot around trauma, anxiety, and depression. And what I've noticed with working with my clients, I draw real strong towards reality therapy and um, CBT, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. But what I've noticed is conditioning is a big, big issue when it comes to like people dealing with like just mental health struggle it just struggles it just comes to basically the way they've been quote-unquote programmed or conditioned like their exposure their experiences shape how they view things so that quote really spoke to me at the time that I pulled it out because a lot of times we look at situations as the cause of whatever we're going through. So stress, um, even happiness, we look at the situation itself as the cause of that. What I've learned is it's not necessarily the situation because it doesn't affect everybody the same way. It's really about our perspective on the situation. So if we can tap into that perspective and change how we view things, then we unlock every key that we need. Mm. And that's a question that often comes up in relation to trauma, where someone might say, this person went through an experience and then someone else went through a similar experience, but their reactions are completely different. Mm -hmm. And and there's often that question of, well, why is that? And sounds like you're saying it's the the perspective that comes into play. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, And it's not from a point of view, because some people may look at it like, when you say, when I look at you saying um, two people went through the same situation, I think a lot of times society kind of gets on people if they're not able to go through a situation like somebody else. So what I like to do is I like to change the focus and look at it from a point of view of not necessarily telling that person that they should be able to get through it because someone else got through it, but really Mm -hmm. meeting them where they are. That's the other side of that, that quote. The first part where you say we have to understand that it's not the situation itself, it's the programming. So we have to meet the person where they are and get to them. When it comes to that quote, I look at it in two ways. So you have that and then you have the other side. When I hear you say two people going through a situation and like one going through and being able to get through it better than the next or more successful than the next, I look at it in terms of sometimes people get lost when it comes to society because they expect them to be able to to reach that caliber because they've seen somebody go through it. But that's the reason why I really focus on those areas that I focus on because it's also about meeting the person where they are. So the the underlying factor in that quote is the fact that the person's mind is what we're working with and not their situation. So just because we've seen a certain outcome with the situation, 
it doesn't mean that that person is guaranteed or equipped with whatever it is to get there. So we have to meet them and we have to work them through that situation. I like how you said the the person's mind is what we're working with. Yes. And it is not the situation specifically. You mentioned earlier in regards to your practice that you focus on trauma and anxiety. So how would you define or describe trauma in your own words? So for me, trauma is going to be anything for a person that, that for them specifically, that is like very, very life altering. It's, it's kind of, it's unique to every person. So it's going to be something that's life altering, but something that shakes them at a place that, that is catastrophic almost so it's something that shakes them at a place that's going to affect them at a level that that kind of can affect their their ability to function either Mm -hmm. in that moment or going forward so something that changes how they view their ability to function so it's going to come it's going to shake up their world to a certain extent and for different people it's going to be different things for one person Mm -hmm. it may be gaining five pounds Whereas the next person may look at it as, oh, you can take that off. But for them, if it's something that is so grand that it's going to affect their ability to continue moving how they they need to move, and it's that significant, then it's going to be identified as trauma to them. Mm-hmm. And then you mentioned about anxiety too. So how would you describe or define what anxiety is? Oh, that's a tough one. <clears throat> and I say that mm-hmm. because a lot of people, they look at anxiety. Some people look at anxiety as stress. Some people look at anxiety as um, an inability to gather their thoughts. So racing thoughts. Some people look at it in terms of um, just their body movements, um, being restless or feeling on edge. For me, I feel like it's a range of things as far as symptoms go. But I feel like anxiety is going to be anything symptoms that pretty much show up to the point where you struggle with concentration, you struggle Mm -hmm. with your ability to gather your thoughts Mm -hmm. um, or excessive worrying to the point Mm -hmm. where you feel like you can't do what you need to do on a daily basis. It starts to interfere with your daily routine. Mm -hmm. So you're going to be looking at like worrying, racing thoughts, um, an edginess, just feeling uncomfortable. For some people, I hear them explain it as I'm sitting still, but it feels like my body is moving inside. Mm. So those mm-hmm. type of feelings, um, sometimes it can affect your sleep, but when it gets to the point where you're not able to do what you need to do, then that's when it becomes an issue. That's when it becomes a, outside of the norm. With social anxiety, if you were to describe that to our listeners, what would you say social anxiety is? So from the outside looking in, it's just going to be a person that in certain social settings doesn't feel comfortable. So they may show like withdrawnness. They may show um, a lack of confidence or um, just a decrease in their ability to interact at a comfortable level. Um, from the inside, a lot of things would be uh, just, like you said, a, like I was saying, an uncomfortable feel of connecting with people. So for me, when I was going through, because I dealt with it for a vast majority of my life, uh, uh, throughout my whole childhood, and uh, 
a nice part of my young adulthood, I dealt with a lot of social anxiety where I didn't like to be the center of attention. I didn't like to be um, in big crowds, large crowds. Uh, I didn't like to talk to strangers. Um, <clears throat> any situation that put me at the center of the attention, so like presentations, um, answering a question in class, those type of things. But anything for me, I started to realize the underlying factor was anything that put me in a position where I could be embarrassed, um, mm -hmm. judged, or I could make a mistake. Um, and then that was connected to the fear of rejection. Any situation where I could be dismissed would be something that I would shy away from. Mm -hmm. Or if I was going into it, then I started feeling symptoms like fast heartbeat, sweating, um, foggy thoughts and things like that. Hmm. And you, you mentioned about fear of rejection. So I'm sure many people have experienced that before or even currently experience it. So what do you think might be some of the, the roots, the underlying roots that may contribute to those feelings or fear of rejection? So I know for me specifically, <clears throat> When I look back, I realized it was because of the parenting style that I was raised under. And I, I'll start by saying I love my parents to death. I love my, my mother and my father. And mm -hmm. it wasn't anything specific that they did. It was just they had a more, more of an old-fashioned style where, one, it wasn't much of a voice given to the child. So whatever happened, whatever they said happened, happened. So... Mm -hmm. And then with my father, my father was more of a man's man in terms of uh, he, he provided, uh, gave security. He was strong-willed. He was a person that <clears throat> he would raise his voice when he got serious about a situation. It wasn't very, very emotional, so it wasn't a lot of hugging. It wasn't a lot of, lot of, uh, lot of I love yous. It was some, but it wasn't a lot of that. So a lot of time, my attention from him was basically when he needed to make sure that I needed to get in line. So mm -hmm. I think what happened is it was, I was kind of conditioned to believe that a lot of times if attention was coming, then it was for me to be reprimanded. So a lot of times the attention that I got from him was in the form of reprimanding because that was just how the, the roles were. That was just how the, the, the culture was. So for me, it was, it was like, it, it, Put a pressure on me to do that to myself to always self-regulate myself so if i ever felt like it was a chance for me to get in trouble then my job in my head had became to not go into that situation so go ahead and stop mm -hmm. yourself before you get to that situation you have to self-regulate and that's how i was taught by my conditioning by my environment so i think sometimes for people that's what happens they go through a conditioning where something tells them that a lot of times when you get attention or when you get in a scenario, something's going to go wrong or you're going to have some type of consequence. So then they start to tell themselves and repeat that cycle without even realizing it. I didn't realize I was giving myself that same self-talk while I was saying, well, this will probably go left or this will probably go wrong if you go this route. And that's how that pattern started for me until I was able to become more aware and break it. Mm. And it sounds like you, you have good insight on yourself and I, I often self-reflect and I want to understand what I see in me and where did this come from and oftentimes I have to travel back to my childhood to see where did my current day behaviors come from 
and what right. are they rooted in? And we, we often have to examine what we see in ourselves. So where are you now in regards to, say, that fear of rejection or social anxiety? So um, it's, it's amazing what you can do once you start to become self-aware of what's holding you back and you really lock in to your journey of overcoming it. I actually, so I, I still have some situations where if the situation is new, so if I go into a presentation where it's more people than I normally would would sit in front of or I, I've normally sat in front of, then yes, I get some anxieties, but I've learned to combat that quick. And within five minutes of getting in, into it, I kind of break that pattern and it's just the exposure, the transparency and the exposure of being transparent with myself. Yes, you were fearful of this. You were scared of this and then exposing myself over and over. So the way that I overcame it was I just started taking presentations, scared out of my mind. I started mm -hmm. taking them. And after a while, I realized that what I was feeling or what I was scared of wasn't a reality. So now I take them on and I don't have a problem with it. So I may be, like I said, new situations may, be, may make me nervous. So if I'm sitting in front of a new audience, then it may take me about five minutes to get adjusted. But once I get going, it, it kind of just goes, goes into autopilot. Another quote on your website that I really liked, it says, who, he who angers you conquers you. So what does that quote mean to you? Oh, that quote came... When I was creating a website after I um, graduated undergrad, and basically at the time when I pulled that down, I was at a place in life where I was really trying to make sure that I did what I needed to do for me and stop using other people as an excuse as to why I felt a certain type of way. So at the time when I when I grabbed that thought and it's, and and I grabbed that quote and made it kind of like a model for my life which it still is I was basically saying that if you the only way that a person can get to you is for you to allow them access in terms of saying that whatever they do or whatever they say you hold it at a certain place of value so basically what I was saying to myself when I picked it is um you can control what energy you allow into your life. So if you allow somebody into your life with positive energy, then that's what your life will look like. But if you allow somebody with negative energy into your life and you choose to value their opinion, then it's not on them. It's on you because you just gave them access to an area of your life that you don't have to give them access. You can dismiss whatever opinion they have if you don't want to adopt it. That's powerful. <laughs> I need to meditate on that one. <laughs> and I'm sitting here, I wrote it all down too. Oh my goodness. You can control what energy you allow into your life. Correct. Mm -hmm. mm. Let me ask you, we're, we're about to close, mm -hmm. but I, I recently learned that you have a podcast. Can you I tell do. us about your podcast? Yes. So the podcast consists of me and two wonderful brothers of mine, um, Jasmine Spain and Stephen McGee, and it's called the You Good Bro Podcast, and that's um, the letter U, G-O-O-D-B-R-O, -O, question mark, exclamation point. You can find us on all of the major um, platforms, so Spotify, Apple, 
iTunes. We go through Anchor and it distributes to all the major podcasts. And it's basically birth. It, it was basically birth from a round table safe space that we created. So we have every every third Saturday in the month in Greenville, we have a round table safe space for men, basically so they can come and just talk about topics that are common to uh, males that we don't really have a safe space to talk about at the level that we talk about when we meet. Um, so we talk about finances, relationships, um, certain situations like the climate that's going on right now. We have a, a segment that's coming up and we'll probably talk about some of the things that's going on right now. We had a COVID special um, and the podcast is just an extension of that. So we do that every third Saturday and then in between meetings, we'll come to the podcast and we'll rehash what we talked about at the session. And with your counseling practice, how would how would somebody be able to find you for that? So for the counseling practice, you can find me at my website, www.therapeuticinteractions.com. Um, it has all my contact information up there, phone number, email, and you can leave a message directly on the website if you need to get in touch with me. If you don't necessarily need me for counseling services, but just have any questions that you feel like I can I can help with, then you can find me there as well. Mm. And I will tell our listeners, he is a phenomenal speaker. Phenomenal. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if, there was, if there was one thing or point, idea, closing words you could leave our listeners with, what would that be? Um, at this point in life, I would say everybody needs a safe space. Um, find it. If you don't have it, if you have some things that you feel like you can't let out, then embrace therapy because it really is a safe space. I'm really advocating hard for therapy right now because everybody needs a safe space. When it comes to anxiety and depression, a common theme that I'm seeing in people that I finally get to come in and see me is that they don't have that safe space. For some people it's home, but some people they don't have home that they can go to. They don't have people that they can go to. So always find you a safe space. And the therapy world is the world, the place where you can find it if you don't have it currently. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. And, and again, thank you for taking your time to just, talk with us through their Power in Your Story podcast, and I'm hoping to have you back again in the future. Definitely. As Mr. Joyner encouraged us through the words, you can control what energy you allow into your life. Let's evaluate the people, places, activities, and things that we surround ourselves with on a daily basis. Are they adding value to your life or are they pulling energy out of your life in negative ways? Take time to self-evaluate a few times a week. Evaluate your thoughts, your behaviors, and your reactions to situations. Self-evaluation is a form of self-care, self-love. Thank you again for tuning in to There is Power in Your Story podcast.